This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Would you take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Today, as I have been given the space to preach a final parting message to you, um, this message has very little to do, really, honestly, really nothing to do with what we're being sent to do. This message this morning is not about what we're doing. This message is not about what you're doing. This message is not about what we are being sent to hopefully do as your representatives, as a church planting team. Today's message is about what God has done, continues to do, and will forever do as the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who loves us with an everlasting love. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, A Celebration of Triune Love. Oh, Christ Church. If there's one last thing I can impress upon you as one of your pastors from this pulpit is this. You are deeply loved by God. Would you direct your attention now to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. May he have his blessing through his reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You don't have to be really into popular music to be familiar 
with the love songs. I mean, all you have to do is attend a couple weddings, and you're quite familiar with the opinings of Lionel Richie and Diana Ross singing My Endless Love. But one thing I've noticed about love songs, especially as I've officiated over 100-plus weddings in 20 years of ministry that's not a hyperbole, is that the content, the lyrical content, content of love songs have changed quite a bit, especially in the expectation of how long a love will last. I mean, we've gone from singing my endless love to Taylor Swift, we are never, ever getting back together. I mean, I still remember my eighth grade CYO dance singing I'll Be Loving You Forever by New Kids on the Block, right? I mean, suffice it to say, love songs have changed quite a bit. And, and one thing that we can say about love songs is, is it reminds us that in our present day culture, there seems to be a, a, an underlying cynicism and skepticism about the enduring nature of love. How long can love really last? And when something's present in the culture, when something is underlying in, within the culture, it, it tends to affect us in ways that we do not think. And, and I believe it's fair to say that the skeptical and, and cynical nature uh, concerning the enduring nature of love affects us, affects you in ways that you might not even be aware of. It creeps into our, our perspective of relationships. Maybe you've thought this about your friendships. Well, how long will my friends actually really be my friends? Do the people who say they love me now, I mean, will they always love me? The people, the, the Christian brothers and sisters who, who, who attest to have my back no matter what, will they always have my back? And more sadly, I think this, this cynicism and skepticism about the enduring nature of love can, can creep down into our view of God. I know God says that he will love me with an everlasting love, but, but really, I mean, I have a hard time dealing with myself. Will God really love me forever? I mean, did Jeremiah really mean it when he said, I will love you with an everlasting love. John Owen, the Puritan, has famously said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. Christ Church, do you believe God loves you. Do you really believe that God has set his heart upon you with an everlasting, unrelenting, never-ending love? In Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, Paul is celebrating the endless love of our triune God. In fact, many scholars believe that verses 3 through 14 that I just read for you actually are lyrics to a, a hymn that has as its central theme the nature and practical implications 
of the triune love of God. It's not a sappy, sentimental, shallow love song that, would, that you would find on the top 40 list. No, no, no. Rather, it's a serious, passionate, theologically rich hymn of praise that celebrates the never-ending love of the triune God. A love that never fails, never gives up, never runs out on you. So this song that we want to consider this morning is an outburst of praise in celebration of the God who has chosen to love you and bless you no matter what to the end. And so here's the big idea of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 that we want to explore this morning, and it's this. Although you are more undeserving than you care to admit, you are more loved than you could ever imagine. Although you are more undeserving than you care to admit, you are more loved you could ever imagine. And church, when, when we live in the awareness of this love, we will grow in our assurance of faith. We will move, we will be moved to worship for all and wonder, and we will be compelled to love God back with everything we have for the praise of his glory. And so to move us in this amiable direction this morning, let's, let's consider four characteristics of God's love from this hymn of triune praise. And as is my custom, here are my four points ahead of time so that you don't miss them on the way through. First, God's love is triune in its expression. Second, it's abundant in its experience. Third, it's undeserved in its extension. And finally, it is doxological in its end. First, will you notice with me from the text that God's love is triune in its expression. In this song, Paul wants us to move from a one-dimensional view of God's love to a multifaceted view of God's love. Uh, Paul wants us in this hymn of praise to, to, to move from simply saying, I am loved by God to saying, I am loved by the Trinity. I am loved by the Father. I am loved by the Son. I am loved by the Holy Spirit. I am loved and blessed by the one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is expressing the love and blessing of God in Trinitarian expression, verses 3 through 14 carefully direct our attention to the one true God who exists in three distinct persons. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And what Paul wants us to celebrate is not the love of God in general, but the love of the Trinity in particular. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is united 
an eternal determination to love you with an everlasting love. You're probably very well aware of this. It doesn't take a theological rocket scientist to know that the word Trinity does not show up in our English Bible. However, the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly derived from two groupings of texts that can be found all over the Bible from cover to cover. First, texts that direct our attention that there is only one God. Texts like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Bible is clear from cover to cover. There is but one true God. Not many gods, not many deities. One true God. And then second, there are texts of Scripture that teach that there are three persons who are the one true God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are actually passages of Scripture where we find all three persons of the one true Godhead at the same place at the same time. It is mind-blowing. Like Matthew chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus, the, the opening of his public ministry where Jesus is being baptized, and as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father declares, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And from that moment, Jesus begins his earthly ministry as one sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to live the life we could not live to be our righteousness. And he loves like no one else has loved. And he shows compassion like no one's ever shown compassion. And he does miracles which are a foretaste of the future kingdom in the present. And then after doing this for three and a half years, he gives his life over to be sacrificed on the cross in the place of sinners. And to be raised from the dead three days later. And then to declare to his followers, go. And make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The public ministry of the Son of God begins with a beautiful demonstration of the triune nature of our one true God. And the public ministry of Jesus ends at the Great Commission with another public demonstration of the triune nature of the one true God. God exists. He's one God who, who exists in three distinct persons, equal in glory, equal in power, distinct in person. There's no one like our God. So Paul is belaboring this point. He wants us to see that God is accessible. God is loving. But God is mysterious and complex. He is triune. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The reference to the Father in verse 3 is obvious. The reference to the Son in verse 3 is also obvious. The reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 3 is not as obvious, but it's there. 
It's there later and more pronounced in verses 13 and 14, but it's here in verse 3. It's in that phrase, spiritual blessing. This phrase can either mean spiritual as opposed to material, or it can mean that which comes from the Spirit. Most scholars agree that the adjective spiritual here is referring to that which comes from the Spirit. Australian theologian Peter O'Brien notes here the adjective spiritual means pertaining to or belonging to the Spirit. Again, what makes this the most probable interpretation of this phrase, spiritual blessing, are the direct references to the Holy Spirit and the blessing the Spirit brings in verses 13 and 14. What's the point, Ian? Here's the point. In the opening line of this hymn of praise, Paul wants the church to join him in celebrating that all the blessings of God that come from the loving heart of God are described in Trinitarian expression. They come from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. So with verse 3 informing us of this reality, what Paul is celebrating here is that the blessings of the triune God come to us at all times from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Father is the origin of the blessing. Jesus is the substance of the blessing. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which the blessing is received. Church, what's this mean? It means this very simply. Here's the application. You are loved and blessed by the Trinity. All God's blessings come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate this imperfectly. For those of you who are aware of church history, anyone who attempts to, to illustrate the nature of the Trinity ends up committing heresy, and I'm not in the mood to commit heresy on my last Sunday. This is not an illustration about the nature of the Trinity. This is an illustration about the function of the Trinity, and I shared this with the Holy Spirit class I taught uh, a couple months ago. So all of you are very, probably very familiar with shopping on Amazon, right? How many of you ever shopped on Amazon? Okay, how many of you have ever bought a gift for someone on Amazon? Can you raise your hand? Oh, a little less, but many of us, most of us. And so let's just say for sake of illustration, I am going to buy you a gift from Amazon.com. Okay, let's just say in this gift in particular is one of the books that Pastor Jeff's going to recommend that you read this summer because he and Matt are always recommending that you read books and you, you never get them. So I'm going to make sure you have no excuse. I'm going to buy you one of these books, all right? You're welcome, I think. Just kidding. Read. So I'm going to buy you one of these books. Here's how it works. I get on my computation device. I go to Amazon.com. I, I select the book. I purchase the book. They receive the order. Amazon fulfills the order. They give it to a third-party shipping company like, like UPS, and then they deliver it to you. And here's what will happen. Suddenly, you will receive a knock at your door. And the UPS delivery person will hand you the package, and you will receive it. And so here's my question. As you receive that package, has that gift come to you from me, from Amazon, or from UPS? The answer is yes. It came to you from me, 
through Amazon by UPS. That's the, that's, the, that's the way to illustrate the function of the Trinity. All God's blessings come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Father is the origin of the blessing. Jesus is the substance of the blessing. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which the blessing is received. What's this mean? It means this. You are loved by the Trinity. You are loved by God the Father. You are loved by God the Son. You are loved by God the Holy Spirit. So what's this love look like? Say, okay, Ian, I, I, I want to be able to get to the place where with Paul I am celebrating the fact that I am loved by the triune God. What's that love look like? Second, notice that God's love is abundant in its experience. So what does it look like to, to experience the triune love of God? Well, this hymn gives us multiple categories to revel in. It's not exhaustive, but nonetheless, it is a jaw-dropping inventory of God's gracious blessings that come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Let me just direct your attention to them and Let's dwell upon them for a few moments. It's, it's a long list, and this will be the longest point in the sermon, but all we're basically doing this time is taking inventory. It's like the kid on Christmas. You know, I'm one of my best friends since junior high, still calls me up every Christmas morning and jokingly asks, what did you get? We've been doing that for over 30 years. You know what we're going to look at here? Here's what we got from the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. First, we are chosen. Look at verse 3 again. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He is the Father who chose us in Him, that is the Son, before the foundation of the world. This is the blessing of election. The triune love of God looks like the Father Thinking about you before you were created. And choosing to set his love upon you through his son. And that you would benefit by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. From the accomplishments of his life, death, and resurrection. Before a single molecule in the created universe was, was made the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit thought of you, planned to create you. And before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to benefit from the redemption that would be provided through the Lamb who would be slain before the foundation of the world. You did nothing to deserve this. You did nothing to earn this. God did not look down the portals of time and see what you would do to deserve this. God simply chose to love you and redeem you because of his mercy. What's this mean? It means so much. But for today, realize it simply means this. This means you are loved by God. You are chosen. You're not only chosen, notice here also, you are adopted 
Verses 5 and 6, in love, he, that's the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is the blessing of adoption that again comes to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this means that the triune love of God looks like the Father welcoming you into his loving family. This means as sons and daughters, we have full family rights and privileges, which include having God as our Father, Jesus as our elder brother, and the Holy Spirit as our crazy uncle. Just kidding. The Holy Spirit is the one who assures us in our hearts that we belong to the family of God, moving us, as Romans 8 declares, to cry out, Abba, Father. It means that the people around you in this room are not strangers, even though you may know them to varying degrees. But because of the blessing of adoption, it means the people in this room who are united to you by faith in Jesus Christ are your brothers and sisters. And not only them, every believer from all time on heaven and in earth are your family members. And one day, even though you are now separated from them between heaven and earth and from geography all over this planet, one day there will be an incredible family reunion when every child of God from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation are brought into the living room of God's new heavens and new earth and we will celebrate being the family of God together forever. That's adoption. That's the love of God. But wait, there's more. You're not only chosen and adopted. Notice in verse 7 that you are redeemed. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption evokes imagery of being in bondage and slavery. Meaning that God saw you in your misery as you were in your bondage to your sin under the evil task-masking leadership of the prince of the power of the air. And like Egypt held Israel in bondage in the book of Exodus, you were held in bondage to your sin and under Satan, but God in his mercy sent a deliverer to set you free, busting your chains, setting you free, so now you are no longer a slave to sin. You are a servant of righteousness. You no longer live in bondage. You live in freedom. You once were in captivity, but now you are free. What does this mean? It means so much. But this morning in this hymn, realize this. It means that you, redeemed ones, are loved by God. Not only chosen, not only adopted, not only redeemed, but, but there's more. You're forgiven. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Again, this word trespass evokes a, a very picturesque a reality. He doesn't just say that we're forgiven of our sins. He says we're forgiven of our trespasses, which is a, a particular kind of sin. The word trespass gives us the imagery that there's a line that God has drawn in the sand. And he's told us all not to cross the line. But what did we do time and time again? We crossed the line. And that line that God drew in the sand was his law. And he told us clearly in his law only to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To worship him alone. 
to never take his name in vain, to set aside, to set aside a day to be holy, to, to, to remember that we are related to him and that we live for him and we find our sustaining, sustaining mercies in his presence. He's told us to not lie or to, to steal or to murder or to be angry enough to murder or to, to commit adultery or to covet. And he drew that line and he said no. And we said yes over and over and over again. And this, these trespasses against an infinite God, my friends, are worthy of infinite punishment. And because of those trespasses, we deserve to be punished for our sins forever apart from the presence of God. But Jesus was sent from the Father to die on that cross in our place to take away our sins so that we could be forgiven all of our shame covered, all of our guilt removed, all of our sins taken away as far as the east is from the west, our sins God remembers no more. What's this mean? Oh, it means so much. But church, hear this this morning. It means this. You are loved by God. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Is there more? Yes, there's more. Notice that you're included. This is one of the under-heralded blessings in this hymn of praise. Verses 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is talking about the renewal of all things. The Father has a plan, Paul says, to unite all things in Christ. So what this means is the Father has a plan to unite all things in Christ. At this present moment, things aren't united. Things are broken and fractured. But the Father has a, a plan Take the broken pieces of this fallen, sin-cursed world and put them back together in Jesus. And so there's coming a day when everything broken will be repaired. The Father has a plan that there's coming a day that everything awful will go away. There's coming a day when everything sad, as Tolkien says, will be untrue. There's coming a day when there will be no more disease, no more demonic activity, no more destruction, no more disaster, no more death. There's coming a day when there will be no more heartache or heartbreak or disappointment. There's coming a day, my friends, when you will no longer have to bury your hands in your face and say, Oh, God, what has happened? There's coming a day when Jesus will return and make all things new. And you are included in that plan. God will make you brand new. God will dry every one of your tears. God will heal your broken 
heart. God will make everything wrong right again. There will be justice and peace and harmony and unity forever when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And you have been included in that plan. Not just in the end, when everything is made right again, but we are also a part of the process of the church of Jesus Christ. We are a part of the plan. We have been sent in Jesus' name to be agents of the kingdom, being the means through which all things are being renewed. This is why everything matters. This is why making disciples matters and music matters and architecture matters and, and science matters and English matters and everything matters. Why does everything matter? Because it all belongs to him. And right now it's all broken. And right now all those things are being brought under the active lordship of Jesus Christ so that one day God's created and beautiful world will be all that it was intended to be before sin mucked it all up. And you're a part of that plan. That's why where you go to church matters and where you live matters and where you work matters and where you're educated matters. Because God has sent you as agents of the kingdom to get your hands involved in his broken world and make it better in Jesus' name. You've been included. Not just as a part of the end where it's all going, but as a part of the means to Christ church. This is why we're being sent to San Jose. This is why the majority of you are staying put right here in South Philly. Because God's plan for South Philly is to be made more and more beautiful in preparation for the return of Jesus. When God's plan is for more and more people from South Philadelphia and from the city to come into the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And his plan is for you to play a part in it. That's why you stay. And that's why we, Rachel and Payson and Piper and, and Silas and Peter and Rachel and Atticus and Aiden and Henry, we're, why we're being sent is because San Jose needs more of Jesus. And there's work to be done there and we're being sent to be agents in that place as well we've been included what's this mean oh it means so much but hear this this means that we are loved by God we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and included and there's more we're converted. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Just take a moment to, to, to recount this blessing as an expression of God's love for you. There was a time in your life where you had never heard the good news of Jesus. And God sent someone to you to proclaim the significance of his life, death, and resurrection. Maybe it started in your home with a child, with, with a mother and father who proclaimed Jesus. Maybe it started with a, a co-worker or a classmate or someone God sent to you or the faithful preaching of a local church that you never planned to go to, but you ended up there and you heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed over and over and over again. And God in his love put you in a place to hear the good news of Jesus and not just hear it with your ears, but sent the Holy Spirit to open your heart so that you would actually believe and repent and become a child of God. 
What does it mean that God sent someone to you to repeatedly proclaim the good news of Jesus? Well, it means many things, but it also means this. You are loved by the triune God. Finally, you're sealed. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You're not only saved, you are secure. This is speaking of the blessing of perseverance. I've got good news for you. If your heart has truly been regenerated and you've been born again and you've put your, plate, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will make it to the end. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No one will pluck you out of the Father's hand. No one will snatch you away from Christ's flock. Once his, always his. Once saved, always persevering. What's this mean? Oh, it means so much. But please hear that it means this. You are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Son. You are loved by the Holy Spirit. Chosen. Adopted. Redeemed. Forgiven. Included. Converted. And sealed. What wondrous love is this? Oh my soul. Here is love, vast as an ocean, loving kindness as a flood. Christ Church, you are loved abundantly. Now what makes this love all the more amazing and all the more spectacular and all the more jaw-dropping is this third characteristic of God's love. God's love is undeserved in its extension. The love of our triune God is extended to undeserving sinners. This is implied all throughout this hymn. For instance, in verse 3, God did not choose you because you were holy and blameless. He chose you to become holy and blameless. Which means that when he chose you, you were guilty and condemned. The love of the triune God comes to undeserving, guilty sinners. Unearned, undeserved. And you know what you call that church? Grace. This is grace. We who deserve to be rejected are chosen. We who deserve to be disowned are adopted. We who deserve to be condemned are forgiven. We who deserve to be excluded are included. We who deserve to perish are protected. This is amazing grace. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. Oh, church, although you are more undeserving than you would ever care to admit, can you see this morning that you are more loved than you could ever imagine? One more thing worth noting on this point. I told you these last two would be brief. 
is that this outpouring and undeserved love and gracious blessing from the triune God is not a chore. It's his delight. God loves to love you. Verse 5 literally reads, according to the pleasure of his will. Now this is a little late in the sermon to do a significant cranial translation note, but it's worth it, and I believe where we'll get on the other side of it is definitely worth the time. In verses 5, 9, and 11, the ESV translates three different Greek words all the same way as purpose. Now, I love the ESV. I preach out the ESV. I read the ESV. We use the ESV. But these are actually three different Greek words that are in the same semantic range but have a nuance difference to each one. And I think the nuance distinction is important. In verse 5, the ESV translate the word, translates the word eudokia as purpose. And eudokia is a, is a beautiful word in the original language. The prefix eu means pleasant. The word dokia means a choice. A choice that is extended out of pleasure. Uh, the prefix eu is used in words we use words eulogy. You go, to a, you go to a funeral, someone shares a eulogy. These are pleasant words to honor and describe someone. You want to live in a utopia that's a pleasant place. This is a pleasant choice, meaning that the one who made the choice delighted in making the choice. That's why in the NIV, in the, New, in the King James, in the NAS, NASB, they all translate this, the pleasure of his will. I think that was the right way to go. Why is this important? Because I think Paul is highlighting this reality, that even though we are undeserving sinners, God delights to love us. In other words, God loves to love you. He doesn't just tolerate you. You are not a bother to him. He doesn't simply put up with you. He loves to love you. He delights to love you. He's chosen you, adopted you, redeemed you, and he has converted you, and he has included you, and he has sealed you, and he says over that, my pleasure. This is probably cruel to do on a Sunday, but how many of you enjoy eating Chick-fil-A? We lived years ago right across the street from the Chick-fil-A on the Roosevelt Boulevard in Northeast Philadelphia. And every time we walked out our door, we saw the sign. But one of the saddest realities when we were driving back from church and we saw that sign, and we couldn't go. Why was it that we always wanted Chick-fil-A on Sundays when you couldn't have it? Waffle fry. I mean, never mind. I'm getting off chart here. I'm, I'm already going long. Uh, but, but Chick-fil-A, we love Chick-fil-A. It's, it's, the, it's God's blessing to the fast food industry, amen? Especially when you use honey roasted barbecue sauce. That's one of their secret sauces you need to know about. Comes in a little packet, not in a little dipping container. You got to get that stuff. Oh, my word. It's amazing. Well, you've been to Chick-fil-A. You know what happens. You order something. You say thank you. What's their response? My pleasure. Thank you for the chicken sandwich. My pleasure. It doesn't matter what you say. Thank you for the sweet tea. My pleasure. You're ugly. My pleasure. I mean, it doesn't matter. And when you hear it, it can get a little robotic. Maybe seem a little disingenuous. Well, they're just saying that. 
That's what good employees at Chick-fil-A say. Oh, don't do this with God. When God says he loves to love you, don't, don't, don't think he's just saying that. Hear him say, my pleasure. And so when you're thanking him for this love, thank you for choosing me, hear him say, my pleasure. Thank you for adopting me and redeeming me and forgiving me and including me and converting me and sealing me. Hear the triune God say, my pleasure. I did not have this in my manuscript this morning, but I woke up this morning with a distinct burden from the Holy Spirit to make sure that someone would hear this this morning. You are not a bother to God. He loves to love you. And there's some of you here this morning who doubt that God could put up with you any longer. And the scripture the Lord gave me for you is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will delight over you with singing. Oh, you're not a bother to God. He loves you. He even sings about you. I still remember when each of our children were little. And I'd hold them in my arms. And man, you, if you've been around me in church when we're singing, you know I can't sing very well. But I sing loud. <laughs> I still remember holding those kids in my arms and singing over them. And you know what? Sometimes they mess those diapers, and it's disgusting. Sometimes I'd be holding them in church, and they'd puke on one of my good shirts, and I couldn't get the spot off. I mean, oh, man, I really like this shirt, but I love this kid more. And they'd spit on me, and they'd poop on me, and they'd make messes. And, and when they got older, the messes would, would, be, would be bigger and, and more difficult to clean up after. You know what I'm saying, parents? Right? You know, so these little kids, when they start walking, it's like all of a sudden they got like this Godzilla complex. Like, oh, they destroy the house, right? And you're constantly picking up after them, or am I the only one? Am I the only bad parent here that thought my kid was Godzilla when they started walking? But you never stopped holding them in your arms. Never stop singing over them. And you never stop loving them. They continue to be your delight. And in the very same way, oh, we make messes. We still sin. We still make a mess in our diapers. We still spit up. But God never stops loving us. He loves you. He loves you with a gracious love. You've not outsinned the love of God this morning. He loves you. He delights in you. He's calling you to come back, to repent, and to receive his love. He will not turn you away. Oh, God's love. 
is undeserved in his extension, and it is his pleasure. Finally, God's love is doxological in its end. Very quickly, look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The word glory there in the original language is doxa, where we get the word doxology, words of glory. It's a, these are words that describe glory to God. And so the words in this sentence, so that, are indicating purpose. Here, here's the purpose or the end for which God has loved us like this. Here is why he's chosen us and forgiven us and redeemed us and adopted us and converted us and included us and sealed us. He's done all this so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So the purpose is so that we who have received such love would spend our lives making much of the one who's loved us. The purpose is so that those who are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and included and converted and sealed from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, might live their lives to the glory of the triune God. This is repeated three times in just seven verses. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glorious grace in verse 6. To the praise of his glory in verse 12. And again to the praise of his glory in verse 14. What should we do in response to this love? We're always looking for the application. Where's the application? Where's the practical application in this sermon? Here's the practical application. We should live our lives to bring glory to the one who's loved us so. You have been so loved by God. Love him back by living your life as a doxology of praise to the one who has loved you so. This was certainly on the mind of Charles Wesley, famous hymn writer, when he penned the words of the hymn, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus in all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own amazing love. How can it be? What a song. What a God. What an amazing love. Triune in its expression. Abundant in its experience. Undeserved in its extension. Doxological in its end. Although we are more undeserving than we care to admit. Oh, Christ Church. We are more loved than we could ever imagine. Amen.